2FM. Sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care. Upgrade to Dove Men Advanced Deodorant and Body Wash. Let the confidence last. Game on. Weeknights from 6. On 2FM. Well, a big thanks to Andrew and Africa for driving us through the afternoon. It is a Thursday, December 21st. I am Shane Dawson, and you are listening to Game On. Coming up between now and 7pm, Bernard Jackman previews the festive Interpro action. Alan Colley and Fergal Brennan chat Premier League and Super League. While Jeff Shepard has his eye on American football. As always, if you want to have your say, just send us a text on 51552. Game On on 2FM. Welcome along to Game On. Alan Colley and Bernard Jackman sitting across me looking very dapper, gentlemen. All set for Christmas. Evening, Shane. All, all set for a few drinks in town this evening, I assume. Well, Shane, can you I don't, just... You, you don't usually put the effort in for me, lads. So can say I just that say, before we start, <laughs> yeah. I was. I love Christmas. Yeah. I'm looking forward to Christmas. Good. My favourite time of the year. Yeah. Uh, not just from a sporting perspective, family and yeah, friends yeah. and all that kind all of stuff. All the values. Yeah, yeah. The, the, and I, I really love Christmas. Went in and got my Christmas haircut today, <laughs> feeling good about myself, Shane. <laughs> And having a chat with you pre-show, mm. and next thing a young James Bond walks in, <laughs> looking a million dollars and smelling a million dollars, yeah. put, putting us all to shame, Bernard Jack. The, the only, the I only my Christmas haircut every day. <laughs> <laughs> I was born ready for Christmas. <laughs> the only thing, you're, the only thing you're missing, Bernard Jack, you don't, you don't have the Elvis shoes. So no, 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 radio, no, radio isn't the greatest medium for for slagging they're, they're, shoes. They're soccer player shoes. Right? Yeah. <laughs> they're the dancing shoes. Shit. Um, listen, lads, it's great to have you in the studio, Bernard. You you are going to be sitting patiently as we start with association football but there's plenty to chat uh, in rugby um, in due course but let us uh, begin uh, with football uh, and Fergal Brennan is also on the line and I might go with Fergal first because the news of the day really has been the uh, European Court ruling surrounding the Super League so a nice open-ended broad question to get your uh, juices flowing Fergal Brennan just what has been happening so effectively there's, there's two strands to what has happened and, and what is expected to come in, in the weeks and months so the European Court of Justice has finally de- delivered their verdict on the situation regarding the European Super League and, it, and it's effectively been framed as, as a victory for the European Super League in the sense that UEFA and FIFA have both been criticised for their uh, standpoint which would mean teams and players could be potentially suspended or fined or any sorts of, of punishments if they participated or showed signs of wanting to participate in a European Super League, whether that was the 2021 European Super League or a potential future version of it. So the ECJ's statement has effectively said that there's been not an abuse of power. I've heard that being mentioned a few times today. They haven't said that specifically. They're more talking about using their power disproportionately. So effectively saying to clubs and organisations, you cannot do this without without our say-so or without us ratifying it first. However, the other aspect of this is that they have said they are in no way sanctioning the European Super League, encouraging the European Super League, or saying that if that was to come before them again, that they would reach the same verdict as they have today. So the dial hasn't moved an enormous amount in terms of immediate change. Um, The European Super League, who've got themselves a new sponsor and backer, A22 Sports Agency, who've effectively taken charge of the project in the last six months to try and rejig it and reformat it and make it a bit more palatable to supporters, clubs, FAs, UEFA, etc., the major clubs, individual leagues, the Premier League, La Liga, Serie A, etc., also haven't changed their position. Committed to um, what they're calling sporting merit and obviously the idea that if you 
perform well and win your domestic league or finish in the relevant qualifying spots, that should be the only route to European competition. The big change from A22 in terms of how they're setting this up is they've said that they will bring in promotion, relegation and that teams that are relegated per season will be replaced by teams who reach a certain UEFA coefficient points from their domestic campaign. That is a fair bit to swallow a few days before Christmas, but that is effectively what has happened. Uh, Super League have reached out and said, main concern was teams just being locked in for life. We're bringing in promotion and relegation and a few other changes to try and get you on board. So far, UEFA and the other major players have said no, it's not good enough. And also, we don't want the Champions League to change because the Champions League is moving to a great big league table next season anyway. And that's already upset a lot of people involved. Alan Carley, would you be concerned in any way or is this, as as Fergal has really excellently outlined mm. there, listen, there's going to be no media change and realistically, there's going to be no medium to long-term change either, is there? No, and I think when you see the statements that have been released since from and the weight of those statements from the clubs that have come from, Shane, mm. everybody has come out unanimously against it, obviously. I know the ruling was made, but that was just a judgment that was made um, on an individual case, if you like, that had to be made. And that's fine, and that was the, the, the judgment that came to, as, as Fergal rightly said, they're trying to phrase this as some sort of victory for them on their end of Super League, but... That's because they're trying to get people on side and on board. But the fact that so many of the clubs have come out immediately and said this won't be happening, UEFA, FIFA, all the like, and that's off the back of what their own club's fans Mm. have already said uh, numerous times, and especially when this reared its head back in 21. The only little slight concern I have for chain, and I know nothing will change in the immediate future, but there's still the conversations being had, there's still the debates, they're still pushing for it. And whilst you have clubs the size of Real Madrid and Barcelona still heavily involved on that side of things, um, I still think this isn't going to go away as such, but I don't think anything will change in the immediate future. Fergal, surely this is not feasible, like just a kind of brief outline of some of the clubs, Dortmund, Copenhagen, Inter, Sociedad, Feyenoord, AS Monaco, PSG, Roma, City, United, Bayern Munich, Sevilla, Atletico Madrid, and our own Shamrock Rovers, who uh, issued a statement <laughs> saying uh, SRFC takes note of the judgment delivered by the ECJ on the ESL case, which in no way endorses any Super League project. As a club, we remain 100% committed to working through ECA Europe alongside our fellow European clubs to uphold the values that the fine European football so kudos to Shamrock Rovers um, and all the other clubs so realistically it's not going to be feasible if Real and Barca have it with the likes of with respect your Sturm Gratzes and Servettes of the world No and uh, what effectively UEFA have been told today FIFA have got a kind of overarching role in all of this because of their position as the, the world governing body what effectively uh, the ECJ have told UEFA is that laws and rules surrounding competitiveness and surrounding transparency within their processes, particularly relating to things like qualification, funding streams, how their model is structured to ensure fairness and ensure protection of financial interests for the major clubs involved, particularly those 12 that, 12 that have initially broke away. Um, the big change that's coming for next season for the Champions League was UEFA's attempt to say, look, we know that you're going to keep pushing for this idea or a version of this. So we will make as many changes as possible to ensure that the big hitters are protected. That has obviously been implemented and that will be the case for the Champions League next season. And there's obviously been a a lot of objections to that. Within its current setup, I don't really think the Champions League as it is can change much more. 
this is already a huge change. This is the biggest change since probably when it was before it became the Champions League, when it's previously the European Cup. It either has to stay as it is, or everything gets shelved, and there is the potential for the European Super League. I still, as it stands, don't see how that will come to pass because the clubs involved, particularly the the main ones, A22 have said consistently throughout this guaranteed revenue streams, guaranteed revenue streams. There's very little information as to what they are, how they are, and why they would be constant through a cycle. UEFA themselves already have four or five-year contracts for every cycle of Champions League football relating to television, sponsorship, X, Y, and Z, that give clubs a huge financial injection. That's why qualifying for the Champions League is such a big deal. This notion that, don't worry, we'll sort funding streams that will not only match what you're already getting but beat them and be far more feasible in the long term sounds very, very difficult. You're asking huge sponsors who've already got a guaranteed profitable investment in the current Champions League to roll the dice on this in order for clubs who are already making a crazy amount of money to make more. When you see UEFA president Alexander Seferin saying football is not for sale, mm. uh, Alan, he says supporters are of vital importance, which I think supporters are of vital importance when it suits UEFA. UEFA at the moment, uh, they're coming out as the good guys here, but just because they're not the bad guys doesn't make them the good guys because at the moment, UEFA have removed sporting merit and are rewarding teams that finished fourth over first. They're generating money to put into the hands of a few. They've damaged small domestic leagues. So as much as UEFA retain their power and have to update their rules, there's no requirement that UEFA is is broken up, which is what the Super League wants. And perhaps some football fans might want a broken up UEFA. Yeah, I think it's a fair point and a fair argument, Shane, just because, as you says, they're seen as the good guys at the moment doesn't necessarily mean they are for the reasons that you've outlined and I would agree with a lot of those sentiments, I have to say, because they are rewarding um, the bigger leagues and the bigger clubs, if you like, over some of the smaller ones and that's where you'll get the smaller ones obviously having their grievances and I think that's a fair argument. Um, if this is some sort of, as Fergal said, obviously they've tried to restructure the Champions League, if it means restructure another competition competitions they've, bring in the, they've brought in the Conference League which I think is a good thing to help some of the smaller clubs because mm. uh, you're always going to have the smaller clubs and the bigger clubs I don't think that's ever going to change they just want to see fairness across the board if you like but the line that he used today saying football is not for sale everything is for sale Shane and that's my mm. worry about the world in general at the moment is that Everyone has a price nearly. We've seen it in other sports where we all think, you know, sport is, is nearly takes the moral high ground on a lot of things. But as soon as the money gets in, it gets uh, mentioned, it gets thrown on the table, everybody turns their head. And that would be the worry. Now, so far, maybe the examples of boxing and golf, you might say individual sports. I see snookers even going down that road. I never mm-hmm. thought I'd see the day. Um, and that's individuals maybe trying to look after themselves and, and see, a, see a higher value on themselves. Whether that can be more difficult to implement across the board amongst massive football clubs if you like possibly but I still don't agree with the line football's not for sale Mm. he might mean that in one sense everything has a price Shane and as I said once money gets involved at that level and the kind of money that we're talking about we've already seen it uh, as I said across other sports that's where I would have a slight worry Uh, Bernard Jackman if I might bring you into the conversation and just ask you the question of we've seen rugby leagues and rugby union, but but the kind of leagues of rugby yeah. union um, restructure a lot. Could football, could A22, could UEFA learn anything from rugby or is it completely 
in, incomparable. No, I think it's uh, football is way more established. The, the domestic leagues that that we're, we're talking about are are up and running a lot longer than than rugby, and rugby's still trying to find the, the right model first. And I know some clubs lose money um, in, in football, but it's it's a global game, and the uh, the overall. Uh, following is, is far greater TV rights are far greater etc so I wouldn't say soccer should look at rugby at all really for, for an example of how to structure your game um, we saw three clubs go out of business last year in the, in the premiership three clubs with long histories um, the URC is, is great but obviously you've got that travel issue um, which is very expensive and, and also a lack of um, a lack of rivalry that's historic like mm. you might get in, 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 in England or in Spain or in the French League etc so no, I, I think it's uh, football. Obviously, is, is is constantly trying to tinker with with what the, how they how they operate. But um, no, I think what's what's been proposed was proposed last year and shut down was was very radical. And and uh, I don't think um, I, yeah, I, I, I think that football is well able to look after itself without trying to look at I suppose rugby union mm. anyway. It would be a bad situation if a twenty two were trying to. Yeah. I, I get rugby are still trying to find the perfect form. He's hundred percent, and it's, it's not there. And even the Champions Cup, which is which was the the you know prestigious competition, has changed, adapted, and still hasn't found the right model yet. Mm. We're seeing teams play second string in, in the yeah. Champions Cup. Is there a fair we might see that in football UEFA competitions, Alan, that teams won't take it as, as seriously? Yeah, potentially, but I, I, I just like even I looked at the proposals, Shane, right for the little video that was released today, mm. obviously, and you're looking at the structuring of that and there's three type of mini competitions if you like, broken down, the star, the the gold and the, and the blue. And, yeah, yeah, so I looked at that and obviously the explainer and Unless you have the buy-in from all the clubs as well, because when they speak about promotion or relegation, I'm not sure how they're still saying that when they relegate the teams from those potential competitions that they have with the 64 teams, that when they do eventually get around to obviously the winners and the losers and there's a relegation, if you don't have the buy-in from the people that are left in the domestic leagues, mm. I don't know how you can like where do you draw the line that you say okay well. We, Sixth and seventh don't want to go into the the new s structure. If you like, yeah. we'll go down as far as eighth and ninth, or tenth and eleventh, and you keep going down and down until you get someone that is. So, in terms of what they're trying to do with the restructure, and I actually don't see how that could play out either. Um, but I still, as long as the, there's a debate and discussion going on around the chain, it's not going away. If you like, these are still going to push ahead with this. And whilst Real Madrid and Barcelona stay in the conversation, I still think there's a potential that this may happen down the line well down the line but they obviously need a bit of backing and obviously all the top European clubs around the, the five top European leagues if you like have come out against that today which is good to see mm. but how long that will remain we, we won't know but if I, if they all of a sudden get three or four on the bandwagon with Real Madrid and Barcelona which potentially could happen again when when the money starts getting mentioned in and all that kind of stuff um, so I just don't think it's going away I don't think anything will happen in the immediate future but that's not to say it won't happen in four or five years Well it's a nice discussion point over Christmas you're sitting down with the family thoughts in the Super League so something um, to uh, chat about um, but there is plenty of other sport on um, speaking of other sport on Premier League uh, there's a feast of football tonight sees Crystal Palace against Brighton and Hove Albion uh, Fergal Brennan this is a big derby which I, I ignorantly wasn't that aware of there's a rivalry to this huge I, like it's a deep, an Avery derby boat named after Bruce. Like, what's how do you see this one anyway playing out Fergal Brennan uh, there is a derby and they 
it kind of does get forgotten, obviously, because they've spent so much time not in the Premier League. Um, and depending on which version you believe on it, uh, there was an argument between Terry Venables and Alan Murray. Uh, Alan Mullery, once upon a time. Uh, there's also based around a motorway. I think it's the M27 is the road that connects them. Uh, and there's various bits and pieces. But they, they do genuinely have a real dislike uh, for each other. I think they've had uh, promotion situations in the Championship where one denied the other one. Um, so it's, it's really built up. And I think particularly right now, neither of them are in great form coming into this one. Boy Hodgson's maybe got himself a little bit of uh, extra time after getting the draw at Man City last weekend. And Brighton, that we've touched on quite a few times, is struggling to balance the... Thursday night Europa with uh, with Premier League games, so they could both really do with a result. Um, but a weird little statistic going around on this one is that the last four meetings at Selhurst Park have all ended one all. Um, so there's, there's nothing to pick from them in terms of form, and there's nothing to pick from them in terms of previous meetings. But I, I would be keeping an eye on Roy Hodgson's situation over Christmas. Uh, nobody expected them to get a point at City over the weekend, and um, this could be difficult for them. They've got a very very busy run of games between Christmas and New Year um, and the pressure won't go away it'll only ease and unless something dramatic changes he'll be on that list of potential uh, departures either before the end of 23 or at the start of 24 Is there added pressure Alan now that Steve Cooper is a, a free man that could come in and replace him? Yeah but I think there's plenty of potential suitors out there that would be would be kind of lined up for that job if he was to lose it um, I've great respect for Roy Hodgson but I would agree with Fergal in the sense that one win in the last eight and I was very worried for him off the back of obviously the Liverpool defeat as well I thought they played quite well Liverpool weren't great for the first 70 minutes made a couple of substitutions and the red card and Liverpool obviously eked out the win towards the end but that was a massive result at the weekend to come back from two down obviously um, and getting well beaten in the match and to come out of that with a draw was an unbelievable result it just kind of has relieved the pressure for now but I think he needs a result tonight as well because I would agree with Fergal with the games that are coming up and the current run of form I suppose where he's at as well in his life Roy Hodgson at this stage you know he's been around he, for he must be 40-50 years involved mm-hmm. in the game incredible incredible manager over the years his longevity is absolutely amazing um, but I would what's in his favour is that he has an unbelievable relationship with the club um, and the owner and the fans and he's hugely respected so it's, I don't think it'll ever get to the stage where it will turn toxic and they'll want him out I think it may come to some sort of a conversation and agreement and say look we're going to make the change but he's a fighter Roy Hodgson he won't want it to come to that mm. um, and I hope it doesn't because as I say I'd love to see him get to the end of the season keep them up and go out gracefully because that's what he deserves and his career deserves because he's been an unbelievable manager I think Speaking of pressure Alan Evan Ferguson has scored 11 Premier League goals in 2023. The most recent teenager to score more often in a calendar year was Francis Jeffers with 12 in 1999. However, Ferguson is going through a bit of a dry spell. He's going through a Franny Jeffers, is that? (laughs) (laughs) So is there, will he be feeling the pressure to, to actually get a goal and... Yeah, I know the Zerbi's had a few yeah, comments about yeah. we'll look after him and everything else or, or and he was also just... slightly critical of him as well mm. uh, which is a good thing because he's at the stage now I think where we can't ma- molly cuddle him no and demands will be put on him Shane but he will be minded with the manager that he has um, will he be feeling the pressure because he hasn't scored absolutely because that's what they're judged on centre forwards and of course he wants to score in every game that he goes out in luckily enough for them at the moment but unfortunately for Evan probably is that João Pedro is the one who's performing for them and scoring as well um, he is being minded but he hasn't really been playing playing well and I don't think we should be 
not allowed to say that either Shane obviously mm. we're all for him want to see him do well a young kid but I t- still think we always have to go back to the fact that he is still only a kid and give him time and I felt off the back of what he had achieved so far maybe maybe the hype machine went into overdrive too much that we still should realise that it's still the Premier League it's still very very difficult to break into what he's trying to do at the moment his achievements up to now have been phenomenal but just let the lad get on with it without putting too much pressure on him if you like or without us thinking he's some sort of kind of superstar for us that he's going to save today for the next 10-12 years mm. just let him get on with it he is still only a kid and the pressures alone of just trying to break through never mind the fact that you have to go out and perform every week at the, the most scrutinised league in the world uh, that can play on, on anybody's mind he is great back and behind him with the family as we all, all know as well he's at a great club that will look after him but just let the kid get on with it so that's the M23 derby. I'm reliably informed by Laura Lee and our production team. She knows her English motorways by the sounds of it. Um, Fergal, the, tomorrow then, Villa versus Sheffield United. Uh, Villa, third in the league. Uh, same points as Liverpool on 38 4 clear of Manchester City. You know, Emery has a bit of breathing room going into the festive period. He does. I mean, I, I don't think there's anybody at the moment that has anything negative to say about him or about Aston Villa. Uh, he's also managing expectation around them very well because almost every interview or press conference that he has, somebody kind of meekly puts their hand up and mentions, are they in the title race of the dark horses? And he, he kind of bats away all the questions because he knows there's a huge amount of time between now and the end of the campaign, not just for the Premier League, but for every competition they're involved in. They're through to the knockouts in the Conference League, obviously the FA Cup to come in January as well. Um, I, I, it's very interesting to see how they will progress because you would assume that the teams you'd expect to be battling for the top four, top six some of them if not all of them will come strong January, February time and that will be a completely different test for Aston Villa the hope from an Aston Villa perspective is that they've already got enough points on the board that they've got a bit of a cushion to either push for a possible Champions League spot or a Europa League spot which would be huge progress even it sounds strange but the jump from Europa Conference to Europa League is big given the teams that you'd be competing against and the fact that you're effectively taking another big step up the Premier League table Um, in terms of Sheffield United, Chris Wilder, I think, has done what everyone anticipated he would do, get a bit of confidence and a bit of positivity back into the players because they're in danger of just spiralling and spiralling and, and putting themselves in a position that they weren't able to dig themselves out of. Um, I think ultimately, cliched as it is, home form will be the big thing for them. I don't really expect them to go to Villa and get anything tomorrow. Um but in terms of the home games, when we kick back into gear in January, Chris Wilder will have had a bit of time over Christmas to kind of formulate a bit of a plan of what he wants to do and maybe line up some targets for January. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see their way of doing it. They've opted to sack um, Paul Heckenbottom. Burnley have stuck with company and, and Luton with, with Rob Edwards. Obviously, Forrest have got rid of Steve Cooper. Um, but in terms of Villa, I, I don't think there's any danger of Unai Emery in, being in any sort of... Um, concerning position over Christmas or New Year not at all yeah it's been a tremendous uh, start to the league for Aston Villa um, just, sorry Shane yeah. just on that one like Dan that, the question obviously the obvious question now is people saying are they in the title race absolutely they're in the title oh, yeah. race their yeah. form their numbers they're, they're the second highest scorers they've scored 37 goals they're the fourth best defensive record only conceded 21 they're, is it 15 wins on the trot at home they're unbeaten in nine um, in all competitions as well so like they're absolutely of course the man manager has to play down expectation and 
because of maybe the, the clubs he's competing with. Mm. But when you look at the numbers and the teams that they're up there with and the form that they're on, they're 100% in this title race and they have an unbelievable opportunity, I think, um, because they don't look like they're going anywhere. Like Their energy levels when they play is phenomenal. He's a brilliant manager. He'll be able to manage. It won't be a case of thinking, oh, if they come near the, the latter part of the season, can they cope with pressure? He's been in big, big matches, big tournaments, big competitions, won them all. Um, so they're 100% in the title race. Two teams that are obviously in the title race, Liverpool-Arsenal, Saturday, half five. Liverpool played out a bit of a dour affair against Manchester United. Will this be a bit more entertaining Entertaining Alan Colley. Yeah, you would expect so, uh, Shane. I'm really looking forward to the game of the weekend, really, to kick off the Christmas period as well, in terms of the amount of football that we have to watch. So I think it'll be brilliant. I was disappointed with Liverpool against Man United, very disappointed. Um, but overall, I think I've been very impressed with them and the season that they've had up to now. Obviously, they got back to winning ways last night and scoring plenty of goals as well, and they played very, very well. Interesting, the Harvey Elliott was in the team, Gakbo. Mm. I'd like to see more of Elliott in the team as well. I felt that's what they were missing. Klopp substitutions as well when he made the t- double substitution and brought on Gomez at the weekend um, he should have brought on Harvey Ellick because Harvey Ellick came on against Crystal Palace the week before and changed the game as well and that was what it was crying out for that game somebody to just uh, pick a pass or unlock a defence and he's the quality to do that I think this will be a brilliant game but I wouldn't rule out Arsenal either because they're the ones I tipped to win the league. I think they've been phenomenal this year again under Arteta without hitting the heights. When I say phenomenal, not so much in the sense of playing brilliant football, but phenomenal that they're getting the results without playing great. Mm. And they've, they've maintained that. And I'm still, I think they're going to hit a higher gear come the, the second half of the season, if you like, Shane. Uh, and this is a very, very important period, as we know, with the amount of games. So I'm really looking forward to the game. It's really hard to call. Uh, because as I said I'm so impressed with the two of them so far mm. so I, I, won't, I'll, I won't give I'll just look forward to the game good Shane. good that, that's that, that's alright that's allowed that's allowed <laughs> Fergal Brennan final word to you um, on where shall we go West Ham and United half 12 on Saturday can David Moyes make hay against an unkempt Manchester United uh, it's difficult to, to see uh, United going there and getting anything positive they've not had a great record away at West Ham in the last couple of years and David Moyes I think given the type of character that he is, he, he enjoys proving a bit of a point. We know that he left United under a, under a bit of a cloud in the sense that I think he was unfairly treated um, and we didn't see obviously the best of David Moyes. We're seeing him now at West Ham that he's still a very capable Premier League level manager um, and United, again, it's, it's issues with inconsistency. The performance they put in at Anfield last weekend was was almost celebrated as a win by, by some United fans and I wouldn't completely um, disagree with that given how poorly they were playing prior to that game the supporters that are travelling down to London this weekend won't allow that at West Ham because it's not Liverpool at Anfield. The expectation will be that they'll come out a bit more. Um, but West Ham at, at home this season, I think, have been quite strong. The only maybe beneficial factor for United in this is that West Ham have had to traipse up to Liverpool last night, play. They were really poor, letting five goals, knocked out of the cup, no chance of probably winning a trophy now this season. Um and Moyes was very angry on the touchline last night. We could see him just pacing around. I think he'll have them in training the next couple of days and that they'll know all about his, his frustration and that should spark something against United. Um, because United, I, I just don't see where it turns. I, I really don't. Um, they got the draw at Liverpool last weekend, which was a stabilising thing, but there wasn't a huge amount to get excited about. OK, good stuff. We're going to have to leave the conversation there. I do just want to mention about good news. Um, Luton confirmed that uh, Captain Tom Lockyer has been discharged from hospital following a successful procedure uh, to fit an implantable cardioverter uh, defibrillator. 
Um, easy for me to say. Um, <laughs> Wait, I'm going to try and say it tonight yeah. after an eight pints. Yeah. <laughs> Alan Conley, enjoy your night in the town. Frank and Brandon, thank you very much uh, for joining us as always. If you're looking for a bit of Gaelic games over the festive period, well... But even the build-up to that game, to the league final, they were saying, will these teams put out a strong team? A league final, you know? I think it's the players' favourite competition. Like in terms of player development and you, you get team spirit out of it, you're going on away days, you know, you're maybe having a few drinks on the bus on the way back or you're, you're gathering team spirit. Whereas if you're waiting... <laughs> I've never, never done that in the left. How many drinks now we'll have the sunlight for, for our Scotland? Only if there's a week off in between the games. But, you know, like you're, at least, you're at least out every week playing good games that are competitive. Four iconic inter-county stars sit down for a no-holds-barred review of the 2023 Football Championship. Join Mayo's Lee Keegan, former Kerry star James O'Donoghue, Tyrone Sean Cavanagh and Dublin's Dermot Connolly as they look back on a dramatic summer of Gaelic football action. It's put together by RT Sports' Clara Hester. It's launching at the RT player on St. Stephen's Day. Rugby still to come. Stick with us here in Game On 2FM. Game on on 2FM. Sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care. Upgrade to Dove Men 72-hour advanced deodorant. Tough on sweat, not on skin. Game on. Rugby. Now, Bernard Jackman is still with me as we turn our attention to rugby. Interpros to preview, Bernard. But a bit of news today. Andrew Goodman has been uh, announced as the new Irish backs coach and he will join the national team at the end of the current season uh, and he will stay with Ireland until 2027 at least. He's currently with Leinster. Um, what's the situation? What do you make of this appointment? Look, he's someone that the players speak incredibly highly of. Um, obviously came through the Crusaders system, uh, was a head coach with Tasman and has come to Leinster under Stuart Lancaster originally and created a, a really good attacking framework it, it, Stuart Lancaster was in charge of the attack but um, Andrew used to look after the, the first phase attack and, but also a lot of the skills work and as I said very highly rated by the players and now obviously with Nina Barr who has a more of a defensive um, outlook and, and his experience was mainly around defence he seems to be effectively running the attack as a whole for, for Leinster so there's a lot of continuity a lot of the Leinster backs are obviously in that Irish squad at the moment um, even though there's there's obviously some high profile ones like Bundy and Jack Crowley etc mm. playing elsewhere but um, he steps up and I, interestingly he, he was given a, a break by Leinster to go and work with Samoa for the World Cup so he was actually at the Rugby World Cup so um, he has international experience as well and uh, is a young coach that I suppose is highly regarded and knows the Irish system and the Irish players very well um, so I think yeah, it, it's, it's, a, it's probably a, a very safe bet by Andy Farrell Well that we can segue into um, our preview then of Munster Leinster and just sticking with Leinster and, and sticking with Leinster coaches how different does a Leinster team or will a Leinster team look tactically in how they operate when they have time to acclimatise to, to Jack Nienemar? Yeah, look, I, I, I think there's no doubt that Leinster will, will have a, a pretty standard week in terms of the attack getting next amount of minutes to defence getting um, uh, you know, another set amount of minutes. And so it's not like they're going to be working on defence all the time. But the reality is Nina Barr arrived, what, three and a half weeks ago. Andrew Goodman was there last year. Andrew Goodman had the whole pre-season. Nina Barr has to be given an opportunity to to make the changes. And you've heard some of the players speak about how quickly he has made changes to their, their defensive setup. And I was pitch side for RT at the weekend against Sale Shark. And I noticed in the warm-up how many players were coming up to Nina Barr. Just just getting that little bit of clarity around what exactly he wants. So, And also, you know, you now know that 
effectively the head coach and particularly now because Goodman is leaving you know the, the most senior coach probably there Rob McBride is also very experienced but he, he takes a, a lesser a lesser role and stays in the background a little bit so Nina Barr would have a huge say in selection he loves defence that's his area so it's only natural that the players will be more focused on that I think for a little while and there was elements of Leinster's game against Sale where the attack wasn't as fluid as it has been but I mm. think that's normal I think that Leinster you know Nina Barr was very kind when he said he said in an interview before the match he said look at I was there's nothing broken in a Leinster defence, but there actually is, and that's why you know the Leinster. The what, what's broken? Oh, they, well, they they've given up soft tries in, in against the better teams over the last two or three years, you know, because um, their all round game is good enough. You could question sometimes their scrum has cracked, but but in general their all round game has, should have European trophies, I think. So the reason there's a reason why they went after a defence coach. Um, as their new senior coach to replace Lancaster, who was doing both. And the reason is that they want to get over the line, and he his job is to get them over the line. So, um, yeah, I think I, I think I've seen an improvement in their defence. There's obviously been little issues because it is new, um, but they're managing to win. They're you know they've only lost the first game of the season, which was during the World Cup when Inabar wasn't here. So they're on a good run of results. There's elements of the performance that they won't be overly happy with, but again, you know, a way win in La Rochelle and a five point win against Sale in your first two European games is is is, is more than adequate. So um, I'm really fascinated to see them this weekend against or this week against Munster. Can't wait to see the teams. Mm. Um, you know, Leo has hinted that it will be a stronger team than historically has gone to Munster over Christmas. Um, they only played each other what four weeks ago. That was a tight game. And yeah, sold out in Toma Park and Munster with a bit of a point to prove. So, you know, it's 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 certainly whets the appetite. Given how Munster's European performances have ended in in terms of the the late draw and then that kind of short period um, where 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 they 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 let themselves down basically, and, and kind of Graham Roundtree has alluded to that enough. Is this a must win mentally, even to try and get one over the old rival? Yeah, I think it would be big. I mean, they they would have left. De Viva pretty happy with their game mm. you know because it was obviously a very strong Leinster team and Munster certainly put it up to them and then they would have said right we've got two nice European games you know Bayonne at home is a five pointer and then obviously go to Exeter and, and we're good enough to win there and to only get a draw and then one point from those two games is certainly a backward step for them but they're still finding their way and they're still probably lacking a little bit of quality but to beat Leinster to beat a strong Leinster team in Toman Park, obviously they beat them last year in the in the, in the semi final, but it was it was a second string Leinster team. To beat a strong Leinster team at home uh, would be the perfect pick me up for what has been a difficult, a frustrating couple of weeks. I mean, I feel sorry for Rancher because he wanted a reaction after Bayonne and he got it mm. for sixty odd minutes. Um, you know, they did a huge amount of good things, got themselves into position for a, with a four try bonus, and then just. Just you know, just fell apart really in the last twenty minutes. But that trend, that's going to be concerning, surely, if you're a Munster fan looking at this, that it's they're either mentally switching yeah. off or, or it's something just not clicking near the end of matches. Well, yeah, and their, and their second halves, uh, you know, the second half against Bayonne was was really poor as well. They were fourteen three up, um, you know, at, at half time, in a great position against Exeter, and then just. Um, just fell away and it's strange you know they have you know they have a very good backroom staff they okay there's some young players but there's plenty of experience there as well and uh, yeah like a, the first try that they conceded like th- that changed the game was that bounce that cruel bounce that led to Jack Dunn the former Leinster player scoring 
and that's kind of a little bit unlucky but then after that they just lost their way completely and, and to concede that try at the end the intercept you know and lose out on the second bonus point um, would it be deeply frustrating for them they, were, they did more than enough in that game to get at least two points I thought How much added motivation if any will the Snyman saga bring to the Munster playing group well, it seems like the Munster fans are um, are fired up about it. And they don't need much to get. No, fired they don't. Up. <laughs> they don't. And look at it, it's it's t- the timing of it is is um, is perfect from a neutral's point of view because it just creates this sense of um, you know uh, unfairness or you know yeah unfairness and a chip in your shoulder that Munster have always been really strong at using as a. Is a, it unfair? For me, it's for me, it's I actually. The, the unfairness is that they weren't allowed to keep him um, now but the problem is we're not sure how they are budget wise you know there's rumours that things are tight down there and obviously RG Snyman is a very expensive player so mm-hmm. they, uh, my understanding of it is they had to make a decision between John Klein and RG Snyman and I totally understand why they went for, for Klein um, because his injury profile is, is is far better there's no doubt he'd be a cheaper player. He's bought into that monster thing in a in a big way, and obviously, the, you know, the 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 word is he he's going to settle in Limerick long term, and he's just been a great servant for them, and he and he performs for them. Um, so once that decision was made, effectively, RG Snyman becomes a free agent. I think Roundtree was very honest and said, "Look, it was a massive surprise for us that Leinster were able to sign him," um, and I understand that as well. That they probably feel, "Well, why did the IRFU approve that?" But I suppose. I'm critical of the IRFU in, in general in that I don't think they're giving the provinces enough freedom with our foreign players to really go and be exciting and, and sign a point of difference. Um, and fairness, Leinster being allowed to sign RG Snyman is exactly the type of signing that I think the provinces should be mm. doing. But, but I, not just Leinster. I mean, this could be a once when, yeah, when Munster, when Munster signed Delande and Snyman, I thought, wow, that's brilliant. That's a real sign they want to change the, the pecking order mm. And there's no doubt that both of them had a role in in Munster winning their first trophy in a long time last year. Orgy Snyman off the bench against the Stormers was had, had two or three exceptional moments, right? And Delande, while he maybe didn't hit the heights in some of the games, in the bigger games he generally stepped up. And that's what world-class players do. Um, and I, I believe that the provinces... At the, at the moment, we're, the rugby world is in a funny place financially. There's a lot of really good talent that can help... Irish teams um, you know significantly changed their trajectory who are available um, for cheaper than they were two or three years ago just the market is is quite is very much a, a buyer's market so I can see why Leinster would go for RG Snyman even with his injury profile they don't need him to play 20 games for them they need him to be fit for the knock, for the knockout for the latter stages of Europe yeah. and if he is like he will help Leinster win a European Cup or a URC um, and the chal- and 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 even more, he'll help them more so than John Klein will, which isn't a negative about him. John Klein will be so consistent. You know, he'll help Munster throughout the season. Uh, but the reality is, there's no one in the world at lock, in my opinion, who can do what RG Snyman can do. Even Estebet or you know any of the the top French locks, he he is a little bit different. So I think it's a great sign up by Leinster. I admire the RFU for allowing it happen. Um. But I do f- I understand why Munster would be frustrated because they've spent what three years, you know, paying his salary. He has had injuries mm. and um, and and effectively the fact that they had to make a decision to let him go was because 
John Klein became a foreign player again, which wasn't really Munster's fault. You know what I mean? Like they 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 spent the time. I suppose for him to become a project player to become Irish qualified then he got capped for Ireland obviously went to the last World Cup and you know Dave had no part in this it was just Andy mm. Farrell didn't believe that he could have added to this World Cup so yeah I, I I do feel sorry for him but I am personally glad that he's still staying in Ireland and if you went to Connacht or Ulster I'd have the same opinion I think we need to see these superstar players playing for Irish provinces and helping the Irish qualified players um you know, get to the best possible results in their career. Okay, we don't have the teams yet for that one, so I won't ask you about how that one's going to play out uh, for certain, but we do have teams for Ulster Connacht, so how do you see this one playing Yeah, out this is an interesting night? one. I mean, Ulster had her best performance of the season uh, beating uh, Racing. It was a real pick-up because they'd obviously been poor against Bath. They'd lost a home to Edinburgh, um, and they've picked a, a strong side. No Kitschoff uh, starting. He's on the bench. Andrew Work starts. They've rotated at hooker. Tom Stewart comes in. But it's still a it's still a nice Ulster team. You've John Cooney. You've Jake Flannery, who seems to be very much pushing uh, Billy Burns for the ten spot. And then I thought the centre partnership McCluskey and James Hume at the weekend were excellent. As was Balakloon and Stockdale. So. Um, this is a good Ulster team. They'll be on a bit of a high after Racing. They'll look to back it up. They were 20 points up against Connacht a couple, uh, uh, six weeks ago in the sports ground and managed to, to lose the game. So there's that motivation. And Connacht, you just don't know where they're at. I mean, they... Do they, they need a big performance yeah. in a similar mindset to Munster, given how, how no, Europe big is time, going? Big time. I mean, look, at Europe is always going to be tough for Connacht. You're up against a, a star-studded Bordeaux team and a star-studded Saracens team. And there's a limit to what Connacht can do in terms of their player pool but I think that's the second time this season in Saracens they shipped more than 50 points um, they shipped four, over 40 against Bordeaux the week before so Is too much being made of that given the golfing class? No I look at I think when you look at the, the, the nature of some of the tries um, particularly Bordeaux Bordeaux was really really poor and there was a there was a concern around attitude and work rate mm-hmm. um, look at I understand that the, the squad there don't have the talent you don't have it like um, Damien Penault is a different level than, than obviously what Connacht can, can call on so um, but there is a concern that this season having started so brightly could start to slip a little bit for them and if they don't start picking up points now in the URC top 8 could become a, a, a challenge for them and I think that's that's effectively their trophy is, is is qualifying for Europe every year through the top eight and um, I think the coaches will know that that's the level that's expected of them and Andy Friend was able to do it and they'll want to do it again Is there a concern if, if results start to slip they'll continue to, to Yeah they will well look you gotta they gotta be hard to beat mm. first of all their attacking game can be beautiful to watch very effective there's no doubt about that but at the moment there's just a concern that they they can see too easily and there's still and there's, there's slightly concerned that they throw in the towel, which isn't which is a bigger issue. Yeah, which is a bigger issue. Now, people would argue that's unfair, but uh, at the moment, I, I I still need to be convinced when I watch them that um, they'll basically dig in, dig in when it going gets tough. Now, for, you know, tomorrow night in Ravenhill is a is a brilliant place to to start to show that bit of doggedness. In a word, who's going to win tomorrow night? Oh, you can't. Ulster Ulster have to have to be hot favourites. Okay, great stuff. Bernard Jackman, thank you very much as always. Gentlemen, pleasure chatting. Uh, we are going to chat American football. Jeff Shepard is on the line, so stay with us here in Game On 2FM. Game On. Eye on America.
Well, from a scare at Christmas to a Christmas miracle, Jeff Shepard returns to chat <laughs> NFL football just as well because I was just going to go an ode to the Jets and my beloved Aaron Rodgers, etc. But before we touch on that, the floor is yours now, finally, to chat about Baltimore at San Francisco. Potential Super Bowl matchup, Shep. I mean, cross-oceanic communication. Sometimes <laughs> there's a problem, you know, Shane? Look, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's both teams are 11-3, and three, San Francisco and Baltimore. Both teams have the you know lead right now in their respective conferences, so they would get the lone playoff uh, playoff buy in round one uh, if the, if the season kind of you know plays out the way it is right now. I mean, one of these teams has to lose. San Francisco's I think favored by by three points because they're at home. Uh, they have kind of you know held off all comers in the NFC. Um, even when they play poorly, they're still able to win. But, yes, you know, Shane, what I was saying quickly was, you know, it used to be the NBA on Christmas. It used to be the Lakers or the Bulls or whoever. And then now the NFL has just said, you know what, we're going to start with Christmas being, you know, on a Monday. It starts – football games start tonight, Rams and Saints, with NFC playoff implications. And it goes all day Saturday, all day Sunday, and then three games on Christmas Day, wrapping things up with the Ravens and the 49ers. So, I mean, it'll just be a football extravaganza in the United States. And, you know, for all of our big NFL fans in Ireland, there's going to be plenty to watch all weekend long as well. Absolutely. So much to get stuck into. There is so much sport on over Christmas, to be fair. It is brilliant. Um, come here, Shep. I did mention uh, Aaron Rodgers. So, basically, right. the situation, he the, a cause has been activated that... I'm I'm not to book the flights to New York to see him play in a competitive <laughs> match basically is right. the situation. That's exactly right. This is this is very much a an, an administrative move, I guess you could say, or a clerical move. Uh basically what happened is is the Jets activated him. They put them on the active roster, you know, moved them off of the injured reserve basically so he could practice with the team and continue working out as he, you know, looks to recover. He has said he's not going to play. The Jets are elim- basically eliminated from the playoffs. They're not going to make the playoffs. And so it would be foolish for them to rush him back to try to you know, get him out there. But, again, we've talked about it the whole season long as we've watched this, you know, as the Aaron Rodgers turns. You know, um, it, you know it is just remarkable just to see a guy near, you know, that just turned 40 recovering so quickly from a, uh, an Achilles injury. But he's not going to play, but he is still going to be able to kind of practice with the team. And that's, you know, really the significant news of this week with him. It would have been, realistically, it was never going to happen that he was going to be able to come back so quickly from, from an Achilles right. surgery. That's exactly right. I mean, again, we've talked about it before, Shane. If he would have come back this year, then that would have meant that the Achilles wasn't completely torn it might have been you know something else might have happened to it but it maybe wasn't as bad this is just a timeline that we've never seen before in the history of american sports you know i don't know about anywhere else around the world but but, you know you just don't quickly come back from this three months later okay good stuff um they always tell you not to read out a, a text not approved by a producer but chris texts in saying will you wish jeff good luck in the playoffs this week in touchdown city playoffs but chris says his team is taking the title this year i hope that makes sense to you chef it does. I'm in a fantasy football league in Ireland as well. And so uh, I appreciate that. And I'm in, in my American league. I'm in the semifinals this weekend as well. So um, it doesn't happen all the time. But this year, I kind of figured out what I was doing. No better, man. Well, listen, I wish you all the best with it, Jeff. An absolute pleasure talking. Have a great Christmas. We'll chat you in the new year um, for sure. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, 
that is all we have time for on our final show with live guests. But fear not, we will be back at 6pm tomorrow for a special look back with the best of Game On for 2023. We have uh, Rashida Adeleke, Rachel Blackmore, Stephanie Meadow, Munster URC success, plus a look ahead uh, to next year's Paris Olympics. And if that wasn't enough, we'll also bring you a Game On soccer special Friday, December 29th, as we reflect on a historic year for the Irish women's national team as it played out here in 2FM. So lots to look forward to both tomorrow and next Friday. But for now... I do want to say a massive and sincere thank you to our series producer Ronan Lawler for expertly guiding us through the year here on Game On one of the best in the business a top top man a massive thanks to the show's broadcast coordinator Lorley Davis who ensures we're all kept in line a big thank you to all the production team throughout the year Andrew O'Connor John Farrell Damon O'Mara Gary Moran Brian Moss Stephen Higgins Dave Kelly plenty of others in the background putting in the hard yards massive thank you to all the contributors who came on air with us too for the last time this year it is my pleasure to implore you to stay tuned to 2FM because the brilliant Better the Silva is standing by to bring you the best new tunes the music world has to offer and I think you mentioned Green Chatting as well which I'm very much looking forward to personally so from myself from Marie Crow, from Ruby Walsh thank you the listeners so much for tuning into Game On this year it's been an honour bringing you your fix of midweek sport throughout the year and we can't wait to do it all again in 2024